Hey, my name is Charles Harriet. I'm a black belt under Hinaldo Santos from Gainesville, Florida. Throughout, you know, 2018, I want to travel the world and do jiu-jitsu. I'm thinking about the good old days How quick they slip away But I'm gonna be fine, I'm gonna be fine I'm gonna be alright So light it up and let it roll Let it burn real slow Cause we all know it's gonna be alright Truth tellers! What it do? What it does, it is your host with the most Sunday, Sun Diesel, Son of the Sun, Son of Man, Son of God, deeply embedded in the flesh. And this is the podcast, Tell Me the Truth. How y'all doing today, tonight, this evening, whenever? All right. Today we got an interesting episode, but I want to take care of these sponsors first. First of all, Tell Me the Truth podcast, episode 34, is brought to you by Rastafarites LLC, Come Taste Paradise. Check out the website for locations, www.rastafarites.com. They also do birthday parties and private events. Also, check out the Depot Park Family Drum Circle, taking place on the first Saturday of each month. Go to Depot Park's website or Facebook page for information. Also, Charles Harriet Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Contact Charles Harriet on Facebook or Instagram to look into booking training or private lessons. Um, but we're going to move on with the groove on. Today's episode is episode 34. We got a chance to sit down with a real cool brother and jujitsu training partner of mine. <coughs> Hold up. Charles Harriet. And uh, we had a great conversation. Uh, he has been traveling the planet, training at different gyms in the discipline of Brazilian jujitsu. And I followed him and I just followed his journey and was inspired by him. And I reached out to him and said, brother, when you get back this way, we got to do a podcast. So he did so much that we're going to break his journey up into multiple episodes. So this is going to be the first edition of that. And this edition pretty much deals with the American leg of the journey. So we will wait no longer. We're going to get into it. I know you guys are going to enjoy it. So here we go. Episode 34, BJJ Globetrotter with Charles Harriet. Let's go. I'm thinking about the good old days. Now quick they slip away. But I'm gonna be fine, I'ma be fine, I'ma be alright. Slide it up and let it roll. Let it burn real slow. Cause we all know it's gonna be I realized mm-hmm. that the internal microphone on this laptop was the best one I had. Really? Yeah, I, I, I bought a laptop, and this is just better. Like, the whatever the heck this, uh, what is this thing I got? This Asus laptop came with this. I feel like Asus stepped up their game. Yeah. I feel like they definitely stepped up their game. I mean, this thing has been around the world, and only, like, right before I came home, I was in Boston, and this little piece of plastic right here fell off. But it still functions great, but now it just looks like it's busted because <laughs> But it's been around the world. Yeah. And I, yeah, yeah. It has. All right. So here we are. It looks like we're hot. I feel like the signals look pretty damn good. Right. We finally got this microphone situation situated. Stay calm. I actually, I'm going to tell you something. This is like the BAM because we've never had the table, but I feel like this almost just like made Voltron 
come together. And I also like that you put your laptop at the head of the table because yeah, now it's like we have a focal share, point. Yeah. Got that triangle, exactly. you know, that them three points. We're talking to like, it's just like, as you can see, exhibit Boom. A. Boom, yeah, okay, <laughs> okay. Uh, so, I, you know, I don't know if anybody saw it, but I posted today my last episode I did. It was episode 33, which was you. Yeah, it was. I remember that. I uh, It was a good conversation a while back, but I, I realized because I've been traveling. And it's before you left. It was, it was, heck, it was two, three years before I left. It was um, shortly oh, wow. after wow. I um, I did my, my tournament. I had all these plans of doing more tournaments and all this stuff, and, you know, life happened, and... I never actually got a chance to do some of those things that I wanted to do here in town. But I was always still like putting around in my car, training as many gyms as I could around Florida. Just, oh, there's a gym here in Tampa. I'm going to go visit these guys or Miami or Orlando, everywhere. And I kind of, and I always was more gravitated to uh, visiting gyms and going to open mats and meeting people that way, more so than competing in tournaments. Okay. I mean, I competed in tournaments. I had, especially last year, a little run where I was got a little obsessed and was competing almost every weekend in tournaments. But for the majority of my jiu-jitsu life, I was really more of a gym visitor than a, uh, a competition chaser, you know? So Kind of uh, learning from the variety of people. Well, like, in the beginning, it was just came from being broke. And so I looked at the math, like, one tournament's costing between 50 and 100 bucks. Okay. So I pay for gas and get there and all that. And one open mat costs 5 or 10 bucks. And a tournament, if I lose my first match, that's it. Maybe I have two divisions, I, that's two matches. So the worst case scenario of the tournament is that I wait all day and I get one or two matches. I go visit a gym, no matter what, no matter how good or bad I am, I'm going to get to roll with just about everyone at that gym. So I get 10, you know, maybe 12 matches sometimes, depending. Not matches, because you're rolling, so it's different intensity. Some people are chill some people are like to the death but you don't know what you're running into when you visit a gym it could be that whole spectrum yeah oh uh, so, you never yeah. yeah different people own different well, also, every gym has a different culture some gyms are like you know keep it playful flow other gyms are like everyday pohada so it's just <laughs> like every role is is really really intense and there's different reasons for that some MMA gyms yeah. in particular are a bit more rough or Gyms that are, if there's a competition coming up, if you're at a gym and they're prepping for worlds, it's going to be intense. Yeah, they bump It's going to be a real intense role. But if you're at like a gym that's got mostly, you know, casuals, people who do jiu-jitsu as a hobby, yeah. then it's going to be a little bit more mellow. Not always. Some some people who never compete are ferocious. They still like, got something to prove, well, you know. It's not just that. It's people that have a venue to compete in mm -hmm. they're saving that fire sometimes for that for venue competition day they're not trying but to get hurt people that don't compete say someone that maybe comes in only two times a week well this open mat on saturday that's their world cup that's their abu dhabi so like this is their let's go trying to really really see where they stand and i'm a visitor and so Depending over the years, sometimes I'll be I'll be welcomed almost like I'm made of glass. Other times it's like the bullseyes on the back, and that's kind of been as I've gotten better. Right, I, I started traveling and visiting gyms back when I was a white belt. Um, so when you visit a gym as a white belt, people don't really have much expectations of you. Mm. Not really anything like maybe the other white belts might try and rough you up a little bit. Well, no, I remember you were mentioning last time that you said you would roll with a lot of guys that were. Uh, like MMA fighters are oh, yeah. pretty MMA serious are in the rough. beginning. They're all, well, they're always rough. MMA fighters are always rough just because they have to be. There's a different set of stakes on the line, right? 
if you're just rolling grappling, you can kind of flow around and be be soft because the consequences of losing is you tap out. Well, if you're prepping to go into the cage, well, if I miss this arm bar, this heel hook, or whatever this is, this person's going to punch me in the face. Mm. The, the stakes are a bit higher. A so bit higher. Everything they do is just a little bit rougher, a little bit more brutal, but it has to be. Like, I can't gently apply this submission in an MMA match because you're counting that maybe if you punch me in the back of my head or the side of my head, my hands will slip. And then you're going to try and punch me until I'm unconscious. Well, that's higher stakes than I missed the submission. This guy catches me and I tap out and they both shake hands and smile and walk away. Yeah, a little different. It's a little bit different stakes. So like MMA, even at the lowest level, is high stakes. But if you think about Jiu-Jitsu, when you, obviously if you're in Abu Dhabi or uh, Worlds, then the stakes are really high. Some people will get their, their limbs damaged or something Not, like that yeah. happen. But when you think of like like a local BJ tournament where you guys are competing over a $5 medal, the stakes are a bit lower. And so, in theory, the in theory, should be lower. In theory. So it all depends on the mindset of the people in your tournament. I've mm. seen tournaments where everybody's really friendly and people will tap early, and I've also seen tournaments where people are sitting there and you see them like that eye contact made, and you're like, I think that, that arm's about to break. I think that guy, <laughs> should, that guy should probably tap. And this coach, it, 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 but. It all depends on culture. I've seen something. Plus, <laughs> he should probably tell. Yeah, like, I, like uh, I mean, there's been a few famous ones. Like, call a medic. Yeah, I mean, at um, well, um, uh, there's been famous ones like uh, at the Abu Dhabi trials. I think it was Ethan Collinson had a guy in a Kimura. Guy refused to tap, and you heard that like gunshot, blam, and the guy's shoulder just popped. Obviously, the match is not over. Like he wasn't happy he did that, but not his fault. That guy just refused to tap. But I've also seen like really kind situations, right? Abu Dhabi, um, Cyborg versus Gordon Ryan. Cy uh, Gordon got his grip, and Cyborg was like, "Yeah, you got me." Like at a certain level, there's, there's if you're in a fully sunk submission all the way over, and your body's about to break, this isn't where you show your jujitsu. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. You, you yeah. should have used to a long time ago to not get into that situation. Yeah. Now, I'm all about hard. If the person did a bad job of applying the submission, then I shouldn't give it to them. But someone's got me where I can feel that my range of motion is about to expire <laughs> or I'm seeing the lights close in and about to black out. Yeah, you feel the fuzzies. Maybe I should just tap. I don't Start know, tasting that taste. But it all depends on your goals, man. Like, um, everyone's got different goals. Like, John Jones, let. Vitor back in the day at that match almost break his arm, maybe break his arm, but he able to pull it out. But this is for, you know, yeah. a million dollars. We're yeah, this is creating a legend that this you're going to build a career off this of. This is a bit different than other situations where you're already losing, right? Like this match is lost. You're down on points. This guy's about, this guy just broke your foot in half. I don't think not tapping did you any service. Now you lost, and you're out of the commission for six months. Or maybe you'll never be the same. So, but back to get on track with traveling around, like I've always been traveling around Florida and going to all those different gyms and learning those different rules was a really powerful experience to me. And so it started off financially okay. and it kind of ended up just being something that I liked. I loved it. I go here, open matters at 11 or noon or whenever. And when I show up, I get to start rolling. And I get to roll and meet all these new people and make friends and there's no wait. If I go to a tournament, most tournaments, not all, I'm going to be waiting two, 
to at the worst one I ever went to 12 hours Ugh. waiting for my match that's extreme and then I finally get a match even if I win right get three matches four matches if you're a worlds and like blue belt adult yeah you're gonna get a million matches but um only if you win mm-hmm. so like I think the tournaments are a great tool for dealing with your stress and your um, adrenaline and proving something to yourself and seeing if you can hang with the best. That's it's a really good thing. But if you just want to get as much training as you can and you want to like, well, I know all my guys at my gym, I think visiting a gym is, is really, really valuable. Hmm. Um, I think it really is. I think that but making sure that you know what you're getting yourself into. When you do that. Yeah, that's because at my gym, there's a certain set of rules. And everyone at this gym knows those rules. I can drive a half hour away to another gym Okay, I'm wearing the gi. Obviously, there's not heel hooks. Well, you don't know that. Because some, gym, some gyms change heel hooks in the gi. Yeah, especially and if now, it's open mat. And now you, you didn't know, and this guy starts heel hooking you, and you get mad at him. Well, it's not his fault. This is his gym. You didn't know. You should have asked. You should have been like, hey, what are the rules here? What's appropriate? Because it's, it's lesser now because leg locks are really popular. But way back in the day, I remember if someone started trying to heel hook you, it was like, oh, prison rules. All right. So like, <laughs> prison rules. So now people would start rubbing their uh, chin stubble in your eyeball oh. and like grinding stuff. Like all the, the things that are usually considered dirty were like, oh, we're playing dirty. Oh. There was never an idea of being proud enough to say, stop, don't do that. It was um, more of a, uh, back in America with, with uh, spam calls. Spam. Uh, I turned that off because, yeah, that was the cool thing about traveling was there's no spam? Well, I never had a phone number. Oh. <laughs> so you can't get spam if you don't have a phone number. I only had WhatsApp. And so what's they don't they don't call um they don't call WhatsApp. So it's kinda of great that way. Nice. But um as, as I was saying, it's actually something that I'm um I'm really interested in is just the idea of, of consent in general with all your rules. Okay. It's just taking the time, whether you're the person who's terrified of a particular whether it be neck cranks, leg locks wrist locks, even striking sometimes. You're walking down, you don't know if they're rolling with strikes. Mm -hmm. Sometimes roll with they strikes. They could be doing real Gracie self-defense yeah, style you where... Don't, you don't know. There's a general assumption, right? The assumption is, I'm wearing the gi, we're probably doing IBJJF rules. And that's the assumption that gyms that train for IBJJF. But lots of gyms don't train for IBJJF. And then now how does that... Well, we're going to get to that, but I, met, I bet that plays... A big factor when you're going to gyms not around your city or around your state around your country but now you're going to gyms around the planet yeah so you really got to get your like so what's the deal here and you and i'd imagine they every place speaks a different language yeah well, so luckily for me um most places i went either spoke english or i knew at least one person in the room that spoke english um I'm trying to think of ever a place where I, there was nobody who spoke english in the place maybe in um in japan people spoke english um yeah i got pretty lucky there's always at least one person in the room that spoke english and i could like wave and be like i just want to make sure but i definitely rolled with people who didn't speak english at all and just generally speaking i think you can pantomime certain things like you point at your foot and you're like thumbs up thumbs down <laughs> <laughs> okay thumbs down okay no feet yes, no feet good. yeah or like um, you can like make a pantomime, I'm punching my hand, punch, punch, no punch, okay, good, no punch. Just, I think that generally, 
having the habit of if I'm in a new place with new people, making sure we're on the same page. Because it's really easy to offend someone when you're doing something that in your gym is very normal. Mm. Or to get injured because it's all, it's all about where you are on the spectrum. I'm pretty accepting in the spectrum. For me, I see jiu-jitsu as a martial art. So no matter what rules you are playing, I will adapt to your rules and I will play your way. If you want us to be, you know, MMA, Valetudo, with headbutts, <laughs> like, I might not want to do that every day, but a piece of me that says you're a martial artist wants to know that I can. Because mm. I've, been, I've been doing Jiu-Jitsu now over 12 years. I've been doing martial arts since I was, could walk. I've been, why am I doing all this training if all it takes is somebody to do one little cheap trick and now all of my years of training are useless? Or out the window. So... I want to know that I can you know, function if someone's headbutting me. I want to know. But I also like the idea of not being concussed regularly. So yeah, CTE I, uh, is real. I don't CTE want to do that is real. So if, um, if you're playing, you know, no holes barred, Brazilian Valley Tudo rules, maybe I'll do that with you once. I'm not, doing, I'm not coming back to your school every day. Like, I don't, I don't have the... Uh, like the body the body for that i don't i don't want to break my body every day yeah but there's that that piece of me deep down is like i need to know that i can it's like that that little piece of me that little voice in the back of my head or like in my spirit is always kind of what leads me to these adventures is like yeah it sounds like a horrible idea but i wonder if i can <laughs> <laughs> yeah 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 yeah, now, now you said adventures, and then I've been looking at the picture on the laptop. Now, I take it, is this mom and dad? No, it's not mom and dad. These are actually um, family members. So, like, my family's from Jamaica. Okay. So, like, uh, these are really good friends of my family from when I was a uh, from when I was a kid. So, they came down. So, this was at the uh, seminar I did at Daniel okay. Perez Jiu-Jitsu in Miami. So, right, right before I left, I did a, uh, a seminar down in Miami. It's kind of like a kickoff thing. And it was a uh, donations-based seminar. And Daniel was just the guy that I met down in Miami a while back. And he's been always really great. Cause I, I'm always in, my, uh, in Boca Raton where my mother lives. Okay. Um, visiting her. And Miami's only like hour and a half, two-hour drive depending on traffic. And so I'd always go down there and visit him or Freddie Trillo or Technica. There's a few schools in Miami that I love to visit. And Daniel's was one of them. And he'd always said, like, yo, you're always welcome, like, if you want to do a seminar. And I was like, I know it's short notice, but I'm leaving the country, so maybe I'll teach that seminar. And I was, he's like, uh, I was like, yeah, I know, like, on short notice, it's hard to charge, and you're letting me do this on a weeknight. So he hooked it up. We're like, okay, donations-based. And so I'm teaching the seminar. Anyone who wants to come can come. But if you want to throw me 5 10 20 whatever you want to give me, I'll be happy with it. I just want to share jiu-jitsu with, with my buddies before I leave town. And so I was able to um, to do that, and I got a pretty good turnout. Okay. And um, the whole class was about um, leg locks and knee bars and just kind of my approach to inversion and, and safety and just my, my thought process on this piece of the game. And um, it went really, really well, and I, ha I had a great time with them. And um, got to see some really old friends. I had to see my, my brother ah, Hector. Ah, Hector. Because Hector's from here in Gainesville. He moved down to Miami. I remember. He's now uh, gone on to do really cool stuff. He's uh, doing 352 coconuts. And so like he's going around Miami and climbing coconut trees and taking down the coconuts and like either just giving the coconut water away or also he'll make coconut milk and coconut and uh, all kinds of different coconut butter. I don't want to mess him up. Coconut products. Oh, coconut products in general 
that um, he and his wife are making, and he's um, been kind of jumping off. He got featured on, on Deco Drive and got to teach the people there in Miami uh, how to climb a tree. Oh, wow. And it's a, pretty, uh, it's a pretty cool thing that he does out there. And so, but he came out to my, uh, to my class, and um, I was really happy to see him because he um, got his purple belt here in Gainesville right before he left. And okay. He's been down in Miami with his wife, and it was really great seeing him. Also, my boy uh, Harold, who was my roommate here in Gainesville in college, had never done jujitsu before, and um, came out. Actually, maybe I think he might have done one lesson with me before this, and came out anyway to my leg lock seminar. Okay. Even though, like, this is maybe two classes in the jiu-jitsu. <laughs> and he still came to my seminar, so it was really That's awesome to have my buddy show up along with, with all the nice people from, uh, from Daniel Perez Jiu-Jitsu. So that, that was kind of like, that set the tone for my trip. I was like, okay, maybe this crazy plan of traveling Northern Jiu-Jitsu can work because I always felt very intimidated in Miami because I'm not famous, man. I don't have any world championships and Miami has some of the best people in America, if not the world, in Jiu-Jitsu. has Cyborg, it has Wagner Rocha nearby. It has, you know, Enrico Coco, Ruben Alvarez, all of these really, really skilled practitioners of jiu-jitsu. Mm. I've always had a little bit of imposter syndrome being like, I'm pretty good, but like, I don't really know where I, where I measure up, which is part of why I always loved traveling around and meeting people. Like, I wonder how I'll do against this person or that person. I wonder, because I know that I'm good for my little, my little pond, right? My game okay. is a small town. I know that I'm good for Gainesville, but like, am I, am I, am I good for Miami? Am I good for all the other places that I'm yeah, traveling to? Yeah, yeah. And so, uh, ooh, there goes the oh, mic. There goes the mic. Uh, like so. Yeah. We, yeah, I just kind like of. Well, yeah, <laughs> kind of just sits in there. Maybe if we give it a little, a little support. A little support. Bam. Alrighty. So, um, so that was the beginning, and then shortly after that, um. I had done a few seminars here in Gainesville to say goodbye as well. And then Lorna and I, um, my girlfriend, on Valentine's Day of all days, uh, February 14th, started our trip. We nice. headed out to California. And that was the uh, the beginning of the journey. So we'll, uh, yeah, actually why not? Most of my trip was actually, because I never had Instagram before this, I actually um, had my Facebook under my um, UF email. And one thing that I didn't know was that after 10 years of not being in school anymore, okay. you give somebody else your email. Oh. So I didn't know that. And so I, and so my Facebook was, so now I don't have access to the email my Facebook's under. And I had never had Instagram before. So I just connected, it said, claim your Instagram. So I claimed my Instagram. And I look on there, and if we go back, I'll show you. Somebody else had started using my Instagram. Oh, wow. Because, and it was random pictures that, Churches, mushrooms, church, and some sort of skyline in an industrial park, and a mushroom. Nice. So I opened this up. Psilocybin. And it, had, it had some dude because my uh, UF email was C H A R R I O UFO. I don't care now; it's not mine anymore. So okay, feel free to email that guy. But um, he had claimed the uh, the Instagram account with that email under, and I was just like, that's not good. I and so <laughs> no. I claimed it back. And I changed my email on Facebook. It took a long time because Facebook was like white and I, I don't have access to my main email, but I managed to do it and still claim and change my Instagram wow. name to my name. And it took a little bit of a pain, but now I have an Instagram. Okay, this is the beginning. And so um, that was that. And so now I was just like, I've never really been a social media guy, but let's try this. So um, 
if you look through this, we have, um, right before I left Gainesville, I had started teaching kids over at uh, Apex Martial Arts Center, and I only did it for a short amount of time, but like, I got a little going away photo with these guys, and they're awesome, so like, I was nice. used to the kids um, for the first time in a long time, because I had always once a month visiting my friend Alex Perez down in, um, in Boca Raton and teaching his kids. Um, as a, I, I kind of always trick myself because I know that I get hyper-focused. Okay. And so what I did shortly after I graduated college, during college I didn't visit my family very often. I didn't like that. But I'm always just like thinking about today and not realizing, oh, no, I haven't seen, you haven't seen your mom in six months. That's really, that's not good. So um, I set up a deal with him when he opened his school. I was like, I'm going to teach jiu-jitsu at your school once a month, every month. And if I don't, you harass me about it. And so ever since then, I would come down and teach one class of jiu-jitsu or maybe some kicking. Because I used to do karate as well. And so he has a karate school. And that would make me come down to South Florida. So now I see my family. And I have okay. a, a regular schedule for seeing my family. Because we all love our family. But, you know, sometimes you forget. So, like, mom's like, come visit. You're like, yeah, mom, I'll see you, I'll see you soon. Yeah, and then you just I get back in the... You get back into the grind and you forget. But with this, I was like, no, every month I'm going to go... Uh, teach my class and see my family. It was great. It led to me having a good relationship with my uh, with my mom, my sister, my niece, my nephew, my other sister. It was great. It worked out really, really nice. And so I had that experience. So when I taught the chance to teach these kids, I posted it up. Like, I figured I'm traveling. A photo of my going with photo will show, like, oh, yeah, if you're going to book me, I know how to teach kids. Boom. And um, so that was that. Um, also, right before I left, I had the great opportunity to go out to... Um, Jacksonville and train at the FOIA Fountain Youth Academy with um, so Larry Glines here in town. Yep, his father's name, who's also Larry, Larry. Glines, yep. um, has a school out there and he uh, hooked it up. I got to teach a seminar, and my boy uh, Andra is um, a talented photographer and videographer. And he's like, Yeah, I'll take some pictures for you. I'm like, really? He's like, Yeah, I'm like, how much? He's like, For free, bro. That's my friends. So then I'm like, That's a nice number, I can afford that number. And so he yeah, picked it up and he perfect. shot me a little like uh, highlight reel video with um, some nice music and I don't know if we have the copyrights to music so I'm just letting you okay. know. Uh, actually, wait, yeah, I like some of this. We can get a little bit of music because I love Chill Hop. Um, yeah, and I don't have any sponsors or anything so we can put yeah. it on there. And so it's got this nice chill vibe and it's just me going through and uh, teaching my class and all artistic and stuff and I was really happy with it and it was like a little trailer and that was the beginning of me having a social media Not okay like, nice little like, teaser yeah I have like four posts and I'm starting my journey I think I had this point I have like five followers on Instagram okay and I'm trying to like because I've never been that guy trying to begin my journey okay and so for the people listening at this point you're still in America and you're kind of getting some seminars together getting some money yeah. together getting some funds together to make that first well, trip well, to the me, first it wasn't getting the funds together because i got the funds because i i worked at a infant energy here in town mm -hmm. for um for eight and a half years so for eight and a half years i sat behind a desk and did all kinds of things so i got, got really lucky because i didn't really have plans after college like i literally remember graduating for college in 2008 sitting down in the auditorium as they're announcing my name I graduated at Charles Harriet, you know, Bachelor's of Science in Physics. At this point in time, I don't have a job, did not apply for graduate school. 
I have very little money in the bank and have no idea what I'm doing with my life. Nice. And a minor panic attack starts coming in and so I decided to start um, teaching martial arts just because, not teaching martial arts, just training because I love it. And then slowly I got lucky that Doug Bianchi said, dude, you're smart. Like, apply for this internship. Apply for the internship and like over those eight and a half years, I just kind of was able to move my way and do different jobs in the company from being an analyst to being a um, kind of a business systems analyst who helps design um, software. So like I'm the guy in the middle who speaks tech but also speaks layman and then okay. actually become a software developer then be a manager and got all kinds of great jobs at Infinite and really grew a lot of my technical skills and my professional skills. Wow. Until I finally ended up uh, in the trade room and that was the uh, the end of my career there. So towards the end there, I just kind of decided that um, we ended up parting ways. But like, I loved, like, I learned so much from my eight and a half years in the company, but also I'm really cheap. So I left my money in the bank. Okay, so I okay. Saved. And so that whole time, like, I never, I never got a new car. I had, like, everyone was always like, dude, you got a promotion, get it now. I'm driving my same busted minivan around that until that thing finally died yeah that thing around the whole time drove it to the grave as far as paid for i mean no monthly payments doing that yeah so um between that and uh just i had that money so i knew that even if everything went horribly wrong i had like three maybe five months depending on how stingy i was to travel so but i was more worried about the fact that like i never had a big name so my big reason for the Instagram, but more than the, the the money, was just to make sure people knew that I was legit. Okay. Because like I got my black belt, so I have my certificate. I'm registered with the IBJJF. I am um, under Hinaldo Santos. I have a, a black belt from a reputable black belt. So like I'm legit as far as my rank, but black belts aren't as rare as they used to be. Like yeah. they're rare, but. When I went to California, San Jose, there's lots of black belts. And there's lots of black belts that are, frankly, better than I am. And so I had to always just adjust my expectations. So if I'm in San Jose, California, where you have, you know, American Kickboxing Academy and you have Coyotera and over in San Francisco, you have Health Gracie, you have these elite gyms. I'm there to learn. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm there to learn. So yeah. I'm, there, I'm there to learn. I need some, some funding to to pay for mat fees if yeah or, compensate uh, yeah. these people and so i was very realistic about that that like when i was in california california is the mecca of jiu-jitsu right now pretty much it's you know san diego san I jose mean, isn't that the first place it came to from yeah. brazil well i don't know if it was the exact first but that's definitely the place that the legend the legend yeah the legend out, you know like uh torrance and all those areas long beach all those famous areas with the gracies came up and you know Hickson's Garage and yeah. Shadow Brothers like that whole dynasty kind of comes out of South Cali and um, even though San Jose is like more NorCal it's still right now a lot of these cities in California are just monstrous the, the level there is really really high in my experience uh, same New York also is the other other big mm. with Marcelo Garcia Henzo Gracie Unity all those big gyms out there so when I was in California, I was just like, let's let's go train with these legends and see how it goes. 
Um, I was also lucky as I traveled. So if you see right here, the first place I went was actually Health Gracie San Jose, which was a, um, a smaller school, Mountain View actually, okay. a smaller school. So I got lucky. My girlfriend's brother lives out there in Mountain View, so we had a free place to stay. Which was nice. Awesome. So we stood, and then it also worked out for her because she got to see her family. Okay. So um, she got to see her brother and her niece and nephew and have some family time, and I got to wander around and see jiu-jitsu. So Half Crazy Mountain View was a great experience. Just meeting those guys, everyone was really friendly. And then along the way, I have other things that I've done. So my buddy, um, Will, was actually living out there. And so there's a place called Bear Area Movement. So beyond just doing jiu-jitsu, I also used to break dance and do karate and gymnastics. And so I went to a, a parkour and free running academy and I got to see all the amazing stuff that these guys can do. And so this is just like a little video of, um, we can add these to your clip. Okay, yeah. Doing a few little flips and having some fun with my buddies. And so like that piece of me was always a, uh, a thing that I never let go of. And it shows through in my, in my jiu-jitsu. My jiu-jitsu, um, you know, is a bit acrobatic. But the cool thing was, even though these people weren't jiu-jitsu people, they welcomed me. So like, mm. I couldn't do half of the stuff these guys could do. They, their tricking was so far beyond anything that I've ever done. Like things that were impressive back when I was in high school are now basics. normal. But I also think too, uh, people. Well, from what I've heard and seen a little bit, people that are from the breakdancing world and from the gymnastics world excel at jiu-jitsu because, and I also think it has to do with a lot of core strength and stabilizer muscles. I think it's- Which that. I need to work on, by so the way. So it's core strength and stabilizer. I think there's the physical, but I think it's also the mental. In particular, in breakdancing, the worst thing someone can call you is a biter or a fake. And so <laughs> yeah, like you hip-hop. Yeah, it is hip-hop. Like it's, you always want to be expressing yourself. You don't just want to be a clone of somebody else and so that leads to you constantly being forced to create and innovate and mix things so you think about well what is jiu-jitsu really when you learn jiu-jitsu you're learning moves and concepts and you're linking them together transitions right so if i just know an arm bar that's useless i don't know how to get to that arm bar well, how am i get to that arm bar i'm going to do something sneaky or clever and I'm gonna get around your, you and I'm gonna get to that arm bar. Oh, what is breakdancing? I'm gonna learn, say I learn a windmill or uh, a swipe. No one's gonna care if I just walk out there and do a windmill. No, I gotta be yeah. slick with it. I gotta do some top rocks and footwork and then enter into those, those impressive moves. Or in the case of, of dancing, there's the musical element. So now you've got a beat to hit. And so being clever with your transitions and movements and coordination really helps it's that exact same mindset mm. that leads to your creativity in jiu-jitsu which is why i think if you look at you know the most famous examples being geo and boogie at 10th planet 10th planet is perfect for them because what what team in jiu-jitsu is known for their creativity more than 10th planet yeah you know like come on man like every single student at 10th planet is known and encouraged to create their own moves and if they do, it becomes famous and they're glorified and it's named after them. And you went to 10th Planet, correct? I did. I went to headquarters in LA. That was an amazing experience. Was uh, Bravo there? Yeah. Eddie, Eddie taught class. I really actually, um, well, first off, like the beginning of class, um, he was just making jokes. 
So, okay. Like, I didn't realize until after, but I guess like he's doing stand up now. And so like the first like five ten minutes of class <laughs> was just him making jokes about I think something that happened with the uh, the OJ TV show on Netflix. He was just making jokes about OJ for like the first ten minutes of class before we even started, and um, um, because that had just happened, and uh, but his teaching style was was excellent. Like hmm. I have to say, like as much as Tenth Planet gets repped, like oh, there's those bunch of stoners sitting around. No man, like his class was organized as hell. Man. I mean, his guys win tournaments. And they stuff, they definitely so. they do great, but it was just. I, I think that some of the more traditional people don't give Tenth Planet enough credit. I think that the organization of his class was, was phenomenal. Every there was uh, obviously the Tenth Planet warm ups, and then those Tenth Planet warm ups led into specific training. Specific training led into um, EBI overtime rounds, and then like there was a concept of the day. Like it was an immensely organized class, and you can tell like this system has structure and there's a method to this madness. Yeah, they have moves that have crazy names like crackhead control and vaporizer and like to people who <laughs> to people who are like turned off by, you know, like drug culture or whatever else. Yeah. Like they're like, Ugh, what's that? No, but there's I think that's that's on purpose. It's a code. So like if you're yelling out crazy things at a tournament, if this person doesn't know that system, they have no idea what you're saying. If you're screaming armbar, yeah. well, your opponent oh, he's gonna armbar me. Let me I defend mean, that. let me not do that. So I see that I see the method to having having these weird names, but no, I, I really enjoyed the class. I also I got to meet and roll with uh, Marvin Castillo for the first time there, and his student uh, Alex uh, Magala, who, in my opinion, is like I don't know one of the best Imanari role uh, specialists I've ever met in my life. This man must have thrown. 23, 25 Imanari rolls at me in one roll. Really? And I managed to escape like all but one and then the very end he transitioned to an armor then came back down and caught me. And I'm like, it's humility, man. Like, I'm a black belt. This guy's a purple belt. He just got me. Am I going to let him break my leg out of pride? No. Good job, bro. That was amazing. Like, you're, you're, you're amazing. And then I, um, I looked him up. He's actually like an acrobat. And okay. He swallows, <laughs> Let's have to look him up. He swallows swords, and he's one like, like you okay. Know how we've got we've got America's Got Talent. Yeah. So a lot of the countries in Europe got the same thing. Like mm -hmm. Poland's Got Talent. This country's got talent. He's won like half of them things. Like I Google okay. him, and I see him on like three or four different blah blah, blah countries Got Talent. Like climbing a bamboo pole and has a sword in his mouth. I'm like. Okay, this man is like I he's thought. I was an, I thought I was agile with my little bit of breakdancing. No, man, he's on a different level. But like, yeah, he's got great jujitsu, and like, there's people at every skill level. I think a lot of times people get a little proud at black belt, and they're like, oh, so I made it. it. I've yeah. arrived. And no, you got to keep going because these these young guys, they're hungry. Like mm -hmm. in my travels, it wasn't the black belts who were the scariest. Uh, uh, uh. If you're a brown belt and you're between the age of like 22 and 29, those guys are terrifying because they're hungry. Wow. And they see a black belt and they start salivating. Yeah. Ooh, another head for my wall. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they're like visualizing it mounted. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because I, the other place that I went out in Cali that I loved was Cayo Terrace. So I got to take some classes with. Yuri Simosh, which I loved, really good instructor, amazing pressure, great, great concepts. And I got to go to competition class, work with some black belts. 
And all the black belts there are very good, very strong. But the thing about black belts, especially black belts over 30, is that we have this word in our vocabulary. Mm. This word is called chill. We have chill. Okay. Every every role does not have to be to the death. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but but 20-something brown belts, every day, they are murderers, man. They come after you and they're going... They're going like it's a tournament, which they obviously, if you're training for a tournament, for a tournament. you shouldn't. I'm not angry at them. Yeah, but I mean, when, you're, when you're tired and you see a 20 something drop across from you, you're like, oh, this is going to be hell. Here we go. This, this role is going to be hell. I'm going to be exhausted. And like, I had some great roles. And so that was another place that I loved. Kyoteras was some of the hardest roles that I had. But also, when I went to the instruction portion of class, was really, really good, very technical instruction. So I, I, I loved that visit. Um, shortly thereafter, San Jose, I ended up going over to San Francisco and got to visit Health Gracie. Um, this is back when, uh, this is before the split. They had recently oh, okay. split. Um, you know, Kurt Osiander left. This is back when Kurt was still there. But um, actually, Kurt Osiander. Uh, oh, he left? Well, no, I'm not getting. Okay, getting that's that. the whole thing. There was drama around that. There was a split. There was a parting of ways okay. between Kurt and the gym. But my favorite instructor out there was actually a guy named uh, Jake Scoville. Um, he's um, a black belt under Kurt. I actually had met him when I had like a smaller trip uh, years earlier over in Seaside, okay. uh, Oregon. And um, he's just a great instructor. And um, he was injured when I, when I met him, so I got to roll with him. So now I finally got to roll with him. And I think I probably, at that point in time, I hadn't lost the weight yet. So I think I was probably like, probably a buck 90 back then. And um, I think he's maybe a buck 65, buck 70, much lighter than me. And I got to roll with him, and like, dude, it's ferocious. And like, but technical and ferocious. Like, there's a difference. Like, we've all felt like the new bodybuilder come to class, who's brah. Yeah. But there's there's no there's no technique behind that power. What I've noticed, like, as I roll with better and better people, especially people that are still young, because when I roll with the older black belts, they're kind of they've they proved their point yeah they're gonna they're gonna be technically be superior to me but they're chilled but when I roll with the the black belts that still compete at adults or those like I said those 20 something brown belts they've managed to learn how to express their power dexterity agility through their technique so even though we're going 100 miles an hour we're not sloppy mm. whereas if you look at like you know the finals match at most white or blue belt divisions. It's ferocious, <laughs> but it's sloppy. Not to say that they don't have good technique, they're doing a good armbar, a good triangle or whatever, but it, it gets sloppy along the way. There's just holes in the game. And so that was what impressed me about Jake and taking his class was that he was intense, but this was technical intensity. And so I got to roll with him as well as um, Hal and Gracie was there, another amazing role. And this was when I, I first realized, like, I need to start taking notes. Like, there's some things that these Cali people are doing that obviously people in Florida must do as well. But, like, I never noted that, like, this is uniform. Across California, there's certain gripping patterns. So, actually, I, I uh, wrote it down and I ended up, when I ended up going to Chicago before I ended up leaving the country, made a little set of videos on YouTube called Lessons Learned. I made four of them. I have way more that I haven't recorded because... For whatever reason, when it comes to making videos, especially nice videos, I kind of get in my own way and try to make them too nice. And yeah, stuff. and you was dropping them like back to back for well, a minute but see, before you left. Yeah, so I, I was dropping the videos back to back on Facebook in, in a little private group because I, I didn't, 
I didn't really feel like dealing with trolls and like I said, imposter syndrome. I didn't think I was that good. So I just said like, here, my friends, to me, you guys can enjoy this, but like, yeah, I didn't fuck think that troll. like the YouTube or anything like that would enjoy it. When I finally put videos on YouTube, I wanted to make sure the production value was high. So I talked to, once again, friends that had, um, you know, experience with making a good quality video. And we put out four little um, lessons learned videos on, on YouTube. Mm-hmm. And the whole idea behind that was let me kind of codify these things that I'm learning. And the thing in Cali is that they have amazing grips. And as I travel, I realized it wasn't just Cali. It's really any elite IBJJF competitor, their gripping, their grip fighting, and the grips they choose and how they maintain them is just phenomenal. Especially like for me, because I like leg locks, doing a lot of nogi, there are a lot of things that you can't do. So for example, the, the pocket grip on mm-hmm. your on the top of your pants by your ankle, mm-hmm. there's no equivalent to that nogi. You can't grab that strong on someone's ankle because most ankles are big enough that you can't get your hand all the way around them. You can't really pin an ankle that way. But in the gi, that pocket grip is murder. It's murder. And so like there's that and a few other things that I realized that just, okay, here's a hole in my game, I gotta improve. And that was really how I treated the entire trip. Whenever I go somewhere, and I get smashed, I'm like, all right, these people identified a weakness in my game, mm-hmm. time to go study. And um, I originally planned on, because I'd never done IBJJF before, I planned on doing the San Francisco Open, because I'm like, I'm in San Jose, you're San Francisco, this will work. Unfortunately, my procrastination got better to me, and it filled up, so I couldn't register. Mm. Can't go. But a week after that, I think two weeks after that, I'm like, oh look, well, PANS is going on. The Pan American Championships for IBJJF is ah. going on. It's only gi. Mind you, like, I like no gi better than gi, but I'm like, I'm out here. This is going on. I should compete. Might as well. I should do this. And so I registered. I tossed my name in. First time in IBJJF. Black belt. I wanted to do black belt adult, but I couldn't because you need to have a certain amount of points. So I did Masters 1, black belt, Pan American Championships. This is my first IBJJF tournament. This was unwise. <laughs> Absolute first was, as uh, a black belt or first period? I'd never done IBJJF before. So I've done Naga, I've done Newbie, I've done a lot of smaller tournaments, but I'd never done IBJJF before. And it's not that like people are necessarily better, than which they are. There are people that are very, very good in IBJJF, but I've met really good people in my travels, training at gyms. But it's a different game. Like, I love submission only. I love, because submission only for me is, is the closest thing to how I started training. When I first started training, you go to open mat, there's no clock because we didn't have a clock, and you just roll until someone won. Boom. Oh, you're stuck in side control? Well, that's not ending until you get out or he submits you because this match isn't over. Yeah, there until, is no ref count. And I don't care that you you know, effectively scored a million points on me. If you didn't tap me, no one cares. Because you gotta remember, I was in the beginning training with MMA guys. In MMA, you don't get points for side control, passing guard, no one cares. Did you submit him? Did you punch him? Like, I don't care. Yeah, doesn't count. And so, it's a very different mindset. And so like, not that I've only been in those gyms, I've been in gyms that care about points before, and I've been to point-based tournaments before, but the spirit of the competitors was always going for the sub. Well, the game is so refined, especially at Black Belt and IBJJF Pans, that people want to win. And that sounds funny, they're like, well, of course people want to win. Yeah, but they want to win 
more than they necessarily want to submit. So that if I'm behind on points by any substantial amount, this guy's not going to take the risk of trying to submit me because I might reverse it and score some points or maybe I catch him. It's not wise for him. He's just going to hold you. Well, see, I got lucky. Well, I don't know if I got lucky or he wasn't able to hold me, but stylistically, I scramble a lot. And what I didn't realize when I went back and watched my match, every time I scrambled out of something he did or scrambled back up to my feet, I simply gave him another opportunity to score on me. And like, obviously, I should have known this before I came in. It was a silly thing to do. And I had a great match. My match was a lot of fun. I was just, but I was just hunting the submission. Okay. I was going after Kamoras, going after Nibars, going after everything I could. And my opponent was very talented. Ironically enough, I went all the way to California. My opponent was from my mother's, uh, from my hometown, from Boca Raton, Florida. <laughs> Gracie Baja. Very talented guy. I don't actually remember his name offhand right now, but um, he's a very talented guy. Okay. And was he playing more of a points game? Um, I think he was just trying to murder me, man. Like, he was playing really well, but he was aware of the points. I could never accuse him of stalling or just trying to point me out. Okay. He opened the match trying to fly and triangle me. Okay. And I was just like, this dude's trying to trying to kill me. I'm like trying to highlight with him. No, no, no. I, I escaped the triangle. I'm like, I'm not ending up on your highlight. They're trying to highlight real. <laughs> I'm not, not doing that. And so um, I managed to escape the flying triangle, but at the end of the day, he was better at scoring points than I was. So like, for example, I got up and had my feet on the floor. Well, now my feet's on the floor. That means he can take me down again. And so, like, I would slip, I'd fall to my hip, and I would scramble back up and keep fighting, or I would try and jump for a submission, but every time I fell to my back, I'm, that counts as a takedown. He managed to pass my guard, and he held on that, to that guard pass just long enough to get the points, and then he let me regain my guard. Why? Because he gets points again to pass it again. Okay. And so, like, it's interesting, but, like, he was very, very good, and, like, I almost cut a knee bar, but... I was too slow, and that's my fault. I'm accustomed to a certain speed. That's the other thing I realized about my ah. hands. That competition speed mm. is a little bit, a little bit faster. So, like, if I'm accustomed to mostly training with my students and training with people who are in practice, you go a certain pace. Okay. The competition speed in in pans was a little faster, and that me going for that knee bar and trying to slowly put it on. Uh, nah, man, he's gonna he's gonna run the heck out. He's gonna punish me for going slowly. You have to snap into things. Not that you have to try bam. and I don't have to break his leg, but I can't be going slow. And I was going at the pace that is usually enough to to win. It wasn't enough. Because they're trying to they're when trying they see to, your pace, no, they're no, 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 gonna no, 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 no. accelerate you, past yeah. that. Yeah. And I notice this with everybody that I as I travel, everyone that I've I've uh, I've rolled with who's a, a strong IBGF competitor. They have a, especially in the adult division, they have a speed that is really, really impressive. Mm. And so my match with him, I, was, I wasn't I was happy that I lost, but I, I watched the video, I was proud of it, and I'm like, I tried my best, now I learned some things. Put in a notebook, keep training. Boom. What made me sad was how he lost, because mm. he ended up losing in the next round, and I didn't really like how he lost, because he lost by a guy, um, I can't remember either, I think the guy pulled half guard on him and held him there. Oh, stalled him out. I want to say six. I don't know. I remember between them it was eight minutes or six minutes. It was less than ten. Like six minutes. And then right when the time was about to end, he ferociously attempted a sweep, kind of, and then stabilized 
and then he won the referee's decision. There were no points, there were no advantages, and that was the whole match. Oh. And I was just like, bro, I'm so happy that wasn't my match. Like, I would have been furious if I came all the way out here, I'm in California, I'm here for this tournament, and my whole tournament is that. Yeah. I would have been so mad. So, like, I could never say, like, I lost my match to my guy on points, but he was he was doing jiu-jitsu. Yeah. He, he was mindful of points, but I could never accuse him of stalling. But then the way he lost, he lost to a stall fest. Straight stalling. I was just like, oh. <laughs> It was painful to watch because, like, nothing happened. Like, he was trying his best to pass, and the dude was just like, nope, bro, we chilling here. Mm. And, like, that, that for me had me just like, I don't know if I like this. But I always think, like, no, I can't blame you. I've been training martial arts a long time. I should have an answer for that. Mm. And if I don't have an answer for that, that's on me. Then that lets you know, hey, we need to find an answer. Exactly, and that's that's like my girl. So, that, so now we're we're out we're out in Canada. I, okay. I don't want to I don't want to make this like not get anywhere. So here we go. So this is this is the photo I show you of um that Jake Scoville and Holland. That was a really good experience. And then luckily, um, Larry's dad, Larry Glines, mm -hmm. actually came out. He was also um supposed to do do pans as well, but um picture here it is um but he got really sick so he never got a chance to compete but wow. luckily uh scott who um got injured as well so if they both came to compete they both had bad luck larry got sick and scott actually had like a really bad injury in his back and neck and so he couldn't he couldn't compete so they both came out ended up they couldn't even compete oh and man so i was really thankful i'm like well i didn't get injured good for me because yeah and but he actually recorded my match for me I ran into um, some good friends from here in Florida. It was just a great experience, a really good experience. But I realized that I've skipped over something. So like, okay. I went, I told you I went to San Jose, trained at Calateras and stuff, and then I went to do Pans. But in between there, I got to visit some really nice people out in Portland. Now Portland is just as weird as everyone says it is. It's okay, a really weird out in town. Oregon? Yeah, it's a really weird town, but I always, as I've been traveling around, I um, I judge places based on like the people, not anything else. And so I've noticed like a general thing, like everywhere I went on Earth, Portland has the nicest bus drivers. You think so? So far, I don't so know. So far, I, I haven't been everywhere, but um, I was lost. Obviously, I've been to Portland before, and like I'm using public transit. Like I said, I'm cheap, trying to save some money, and um, I sprint. Cause I'm late, I'm running late, and I wanna train, I wanna train, I wanna train, I'm sprinting all the way to catch this bus, and the bus driver smiles and sees me, she waits, and I'm like, which way to blah blah, she's like, oh, and she's the sweetest lady ever, and she's just like, no, don't even worry about it, honey, have a seat. <laughs> I couldn't find my money, she's like, sit down, catch your breath, find your money, it'll be all right. Oh, wow. And like, I was just like, I like this. Yeah. And like, in general, Portland had that vibe, but like I said, so part of how I was able to do this trip was I've been here in Gainesville for a while. I went to college here, then I worked here for eight and a half years. So that's like 12, 12 years here in Gainesville, 12 and a half, maybe more now. And so Gainesville is a very transient town. Mm -hmm. So over the years, I've met a lot of people and invariably they move away. One of those people was my buddy right here. Oh, 
right here. And so um, I got to go to see my buddy Mark Fisher. So he was doing research here at UF, then he moved to Georgia, and now he's out in, in Portland. And, and he and his husband actually hosted me and Lorna. And they were the coolest people. Like, I, obviously, I remember he was cool, but we all, you all know what I mean. Like, you have jiu-jitsu friends mm -hmm. who you just see on the mats. Okay. Right? And you don't, you don't know. Yeah, you're not, like, going to their house yeah, or, you, you know. You, you don't really know them well, but, like, you have your relationship with them, which is really around talking about arm bars and leg locks and chokes. And then you slap hands and you say, what's good, man? And mm -hmm. that's it. You don't really hang out with them outside of practice. But Mark, he only knew me from jiu-jitsu. But... He was still willing to, like, let me and, and my girl stay in his, yeah. his guest room. host you. Yeah, he hosted us, and it was awesome. And we hung out with him and his roommates and his husband. It was awesome. And he showed us around. I got to go visit Straight Blast Gym. Um, I got to train there, and we went out to dinner, and just he showed me Portland. Is that his husband in the picture? No, that's just another training partner. Okay. I have a later picture right there. So that's Mark, his husband, his dog, and Lorna. So, um... Lorna, while Lorna was there, she is a salsa instructor. So okay. she, like, I was trying to learn some jiu-jitsu on the trip. She was trying to learn some salsa. She went out and had a great time with the Portland salsa scene. Nice. Made some friends. But it was just... You knew a, there was a Portland salsa scene. Yeah. And, is, dude, some of the places on earth that have a salsa scene, you would never predict. But L.A. is still freaking king, man. Of the salsa? Well, of just the high-level salsa. Like, I think some places... Might have more salsa, like oddly enough, spoiler, Hanoi, Vietnam has more salsa classes per day than anywhere else we went. No matter what time of day it is, you can go into a salsa class, 8 a.m., 9 a.m., 10 a.m. They have a salsa class every hour of the day Wow! in Hanoi, Vietnam. And are there and, people there? Yeah. And every night they have a salsa social. Oh, so everybody's getting ready for that party. Yeah, every night. Nowhere else, even in LA, like they have salsa, but they have classes like you know, three, four times a day. It's yeah, a lot, which it's is a lot. you know, like the average it's, American it, class it, schedule a for a lot. thing. Here in, here in Gainesville, there's mostly just salsa at night, right? Yeah, like, you're not and, even going to catch a day class, exactly. I mean, maybe if you're in the college class at UF or something like that, or you get a private lesson, but in Hanoi, Vietnam, every hour of the day, there's a salsa class. But we get back, let's get back to Portland, North okay? Place. So the other cool thing is like we realized we had other things in common so like i was a software developer in my uh former life and it turns out that um both mark and his husband are um um scientists okay and researchers and being a scientist and researcher you have a little bit of tech and so he took me to this awesome spot called um pdx hackerspace and so i got to go around and like hang out in this like hackers co-op and like see all their toys and the cool stuff we're working on, play with a 3D printer and some like virtual reality stuff they have. It's like a maker shop as well. So like people are also like, you want to do woodworking and cut stuff with fire? You can do that. Like it's the coolest little, uh, coolest little placement. Almost like a little and, creative hub. Yeah, and they were all so nice to me. It's my first day coming in. Like I'm just visiting and they treated me like fam. Let me play on the, uh, the virtual reality thing. And like he sits down, he's just a, a working space that he has when he's working on his software development. And so he goes to his um, his scientist job some days, and then he goes and does this other days. And so like these nice. are the kinds of things that I loved about traveling. Cause obviously, I love jujitsu, but as I travel, I'm also treating this as a tour and like seeing old friends, 
and um, also enjoying the journey, man. So the like, culture too. It seems yeah. like from at least from the pictures, and I was telling. My wife, that's the cool thing about social media. Sometimes when you have people doing amazing things, you're along for the ride. And that you was know. the funny thing. Like, I was always very against um, the whole, like, oh, I got to update my Instagram every day thing. I always thought it was very, I don't know, it felt very vain. It felt very much, you know, and I didn't, and so my whole thing was, like, I didn't want to do that. But after doing it, I remember, because there was a time on the trip where, like, I don't know, I started, got, I got a little sad, and I was a little, not, I, like kind of were like what, what am I doing like is this am I doing the right thing and like wondering like what my goals really were and I stopped posting on Instagram for like a couple of weeks and my mother called me up uh she had come I didn't have a phone on my Facebook and we talked and she's like are you all right and I realized that like by posting every day like my mother's a very worried woman like I've always been four hours away mm-hmm. I'll cross the world and it gave her a way to know what was going on with her. Yeah, it's she, almost they, like you're communicating she, with exactly, her via these pictures. She loved watching. My mother liked every one of my pictures. She's always like, good job, honey. Like, she, even though I'm 32 years old and I was 31 when I started this trip, to my mom, I'll always be her little boy. Mm-hmm. You know, I'll always be. And so, like, for her, she's still just a proud mom. She's still like, that's my boy. Like, that's, yeah, you know, of that's, course. She, she's never, like, I'm never going to be any older than 16 in her eyes. Like, I'm always... <laughs> I realized that a long time ago. I'm always going to be a kid to her, but like it made her feel comfortable and to see that this was all working out, right? Because like I had been on the kind of normal straight and narrow, right? You go to high school, you work hard, you study hard. In my case, like I need to get a scholarship, I got a scholarship. Go to college, work hard, study hard. After college, you get a job. Okay, you work hard at that job and you get promotions. And then you keep doing that, and then you get married, you have kids, you get a picket fence. Like that was that was the road that I was yeah, on. Yeah, yeah. And after after the gig at Infinite, I was just like, I could get another job. I could go. I had people contacting me like, bro, like you can do this or do that. And I was like, you know what? I don't think I want to. I think I want to do something different. I think like I saved a bunch of money. I have freedom. Let's let's do something different. Mm. Let's let's live my life differently. In the beginning, I never had a plan. In the beginning, I was just like, let's hang out. Let's do what I love. Just like last time. Last time, I didn't know what to do was when I graduated college, and so I was just like, what do you love? I love martial arts. At that point, I knew a little bit of jiu-jitsu, but I was okay. mainly a striker. And okay. So, um, Dragon Master Martial Arts gave me an opportunity to teach and so I was like let's dive in so I did the same thing I'm here in Gainesville um, I already had a gig teaching uh, at Global twice okay, a week yeah. and so I was like I'll keep that gig I had a couple of private students in town and so I just you know actually started talking to them a little more and taught there and I had a, a gig teaching once a week over at um, at, uh, at BJ Swamp in, a, in an exchange for, uh, for, for training so, because my whole thing is I just want to train as many places as I, as I, as I can. Mm-hmm. And so, whatever it takes for me to get the train is what I'm going to do. So, I love visiting F2 and the Carson Gracie guys. So, I'll go train there and visit Hinaldo when he comes on Wednesdays. I'll go and I'll train at Global, which at this point, like, I taught there for years. Like, that's, 
like my students, like some of those, like they're Jason's students as well, and Donnie's students as well, and Larry Glines' students. Everybody who taught there has had yeah, an impact yeah. on those students, but my little Nogi class that I had going there for a while, like I yeah. felt really attached. Those are my people. Like, yeah, you know, yeah, like, yeah. You know, like I watched, you know, um, people go from being like uncoordinated white belts who like can barely tie their belt to like dangerous killer blue belts. Yeah, I mean, I know you, uh, you know, turn Ralph. I mean, and Ralph works hard. I mean, yeah. I respect, you know, but I seen y'all work together and he like advanced. Well, Ralph was my, is like one of my, first students so like back when i was teaching at alter ego ralph was one of the first people to come and start coming every week a lot of people came and went maybe we were a little flaky but it was ralph and ron mm -hmm. so ron balatore who uh shout out to balatore uh fitness gym he opened the gym recently did he yeah over, awesome. over downtown over shout out ron next, yeah next to freewheel projects nice and so um, yeah they were my oh first. is that where is that that little space? Because I yeah. think maybe Global had it for a little bit. No, no, no. Not, not, not the one that Global had. The one that Global had, I don't know. It's becoming something else. Okay. It's actually back behind the photo studio. Oh, So Freewheel okay. Project is here. Right next door to Freewheel Project is Bellatore. Okay. And you got to walk past. Inside, you'll see like some photographers and stuff and some arts people. Behind them is Bellatore. Okay, because Ego closed. Yeah, Alter Ego closed down. Um, and so, but even before Alter Ego closed down, Ron was at, at uh, started opening. Mm. So he got, it's, it's a pretty cool spot. It's very pretty. I, I visited him because I went to Freewheel to uh, change a tire on my bike. And I saw him like, Balatore, I know this name. I walked in, said, what's up? And so uh, it, was, it was a lot of fun to, to see him again. But pretty much they were my first two, two students along with, along with Pedro, who was already a blue belt at that time. Mm -hmm. And I watched Ralph go from being a giant, hulking, 240-pound man who could barely shrimp down the mat because his muscles were so big he'd get exhausted. So now I think I think he weighs only like maybe 200 pounds. He's lost 40 pounds, but he's a monster. Yeah. Like my proudest moment with Ralph would still always be this. So before this road trip that I did now, I took a trip to Japan. Okay. Um, it was actually a little tour through Japan, um, Utrecht in, 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 in uh, Netherlands, and then um, London to visit um, my friends. So I had a friend who went away and lived in Japan, um, in, in John Hommel, I think you know him. Mm -hmm. And um, I just wanted to see Japan. I visited John Hommel and another friend of mine, Garrett, who I did jiu-jitsu with, uh, kickboxing actually with here in Gainesville as well. And then my friend Sean, who taught me to break dance in Holland. And then my friend Alan, who also taught me jiu-jitsu back in Gainesville before he moved to London. So okay. So trip visiting old friends. And while I was there in in Japan, I got a message on Facebook from uh, from Doug Bianchi, who's a good friend, a current brown belt here in town. Okay. Then, I think he was a pearl belt. And he was just like, uh, Ralph, ankle locked me today. Would you happen to know how this this white belt with, uh, with only one stripe on his belt knows how to do a straight ankle lock? I was like, I, I don't know where he could have learned. <laughs> That's so so strange. I don't know where he, he could have learned to do ankle locks. That's, uh, that's, that's so odd. Uh, it definitely was, wasn't, wasn't me. It wasn't me. <laughs> uh, let the cat out of the bag. <laughs> nice. And so that was, that was like one of my proudest moments. I'm like, because once a week on Sundays, I've been training with Ralph. And obviously, um, people end up moving over to Global. So both... 
he and Ron ended up going over to Global back then and ended up earning their blue belts there. Um, a very proud day, like getting to uh, to see my my students who I started with in the beginning, like get their blue belts. A big step. Mm-hmm. Um, it is. Yeah, it was actually kind of sad because Ralph actually got his purple belt while I was away, and I was like, mm. oh, I wanted to be there for that. But um, I'm still very proud of him. So like, yeah, you're right. Like we all have students that that we're proud of, and like for me, because of the fact that I've never had my own school. For me, it's my my proudest students are just the people that I teach that I tend to have a, a strong training relationship mm. with. Like, and to go back to Doug, Doug's another special case because Doug has been everything to me. Like, Doug was one of my first instructors in Jiu-Jitsu when I started Nogi. Um, uh, him, uh, Nato Sadler, and Larry Lyons, I told you the story last time, mm-hmm. used to teach me. But now, like, it's come full circle. Now, like, I'm teaching Doug private lessons. I just taught Doug a lesson yesterday so it's come full circle that like the student has now become the teacher i get to share with him and in the beginning like he was the foundation like one of the very big foundations of my jiu-jitsu teaching me how to hip escape and how to do things so but that's a testament to him as a teacher too yeah because that's what you want to do as a teacher as a parent as a anything you want to teach this person this thing that you're raising or teaching or elevating in some certain craft to the point to where they can take it past where you see what I'm saying because you take it to a level and then I want you want this person to say hey I'm going to bring you to my level quickly so that you can go past that level you know I I completely agree like so I've always had tell tell me if I said this last night I don't know if I didn't actually listen to podcasts I don't want to repeat stories but I have a mantra and the mantra is like you have two choices you can be in the business of creating monsters right like Frankenstein created this monster or you can be in the business of training other fellow scientists. Mm. You can create, make themselves into a monster or create their own monsters. So like, I always want to teach my students to be able to think. Mm. I don't want to just create a monster. I don't want to just give you, here, just do this. Well, that's great, you'll be really good at this, but when you run into a problem, will you know how to diagnose? Will you know how to troubleshoot? Will you know how to evolve on your own? If you can't, then I've, I've hurt you. I've made you dependent on me. So, oh, I got to get better. I got to come back to Charles. I need more of that good stuff. You see, and what you said triggers something in my mind because what I need to do is I need to, for an analogy, I need to get with jujitsu where I am with electrical theory and electronics because I can troubleshoot, figure exactly. it out, get there real, real quick, and re- it just happens. But I think the thing of it is I just need to continue to keep training. Well, it's more than just keep training. Because I think that training is one thing, and training is great. But the problem with training, it's also the great thing about training, is that it's a lot of fun. Yeah. And so, if you just an open mat, just rolling, just trying to win, it's a lot of fun. It's very seductive. But you might not get anything accomplished that day, and that's fine. You don't have to accomplish something every day. But sometimes you gotta have a plan. Sometimes you're like, all right, well today, my goal is to work on my arm bars. Let's see if I can't get to arm bars. Or that's while training. It's setting, I like setting little tiny discrete goals. My goal is if I'm against somebody who always beats me up, okay. Well today he's not gonna come over me. Okay. And I'm gonna try everything in my power to figure out how to escape this Kimura. Not including just letting him break my arm. That doesn't okay. count. Not gonna count do that. as a effective defense. So you tap early and often, okay. All right, what if I grab my own arm? Oop, he broke the grip, that didn't work. What if I grab my pants? Oh, that didn't work. Well, wait a minute. I'm defending this Kimura after he has it. 
Well, how is he getting this Kimura? All right, let's think about it. Let's analyze this. Well, maybe I'll, maybe I'll start using the Kimura on other people and figure out what I really need. Well, because every single time that you try and do a Kimura, it's going to fail when you first start. Unless you're already that amazing and the skill level between your opponents is high. Okay. So I'm going to fail that Kimura. So, okay, so if this happens, if my angle gets messed up, my Kimura fails. Well, I wonder if I can make his angle get messed up. Okay. Or whenever he gets double unders, bad things happen. That's true. He got double unders. Or in the legs, he got inside control. Well, how can I stop him from getting double For me, the further back you go, the better you're going to be. So for me, especially because I've fell in love with leg locks as of late, I mean, I, before, but like even more so now, what I'm realizing is Learn, knowing how to get out of a lock submission is valuable, but if I'm spending the entire match escaping, well, then I'm not attacking, am I? Mm. It's far better for me. The second I see you starting an attack, no, 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 no. I see where you're. Nope. Yeah, no, not even getting no, no, no. in that situation to begin because with. Every time you're in a horrible spot, it didn't happen instantly. I mean, there are a few ones, right, where like, for example, like flying armbar. I was holding him, now he's on my arm. Yeah, but there was an angle that he created to do that. Mm. There's always something. Even the fastest of submissions, they can only be hit from certain areas or certain angles. Like he or she compromised something in you before you didn't even know it. And that's how they caught you. Or in the case where you just get slaughtered and like... My best example of getting truly slaughtered recently was I had the honor to roll with Bernardo Ferrier. Okay. So I visited Boston. My uh, good friend Aaron from here in town is now one of the instructors at Bernardo Ferrier Academy in Boston. And I got the chance to roll with Bernardo. And the match began, and I had playing my usual, sitting on my butt, trying to play butterfly, and he pounced onto me into his over-underpass like like a 200 pound lion mm. and I was just like oh this isn't going to be good and just, <laughs> I watched it like watched it happen I'm like ah, that's the over under let's try it. okay that didn't work that didn't work oh no alright well I'm now oh and I'm mounted ah and this all happened over the course of maybe the first I'm being generous to myself saying 30 seconds of the match and at this point I am mounted by a five-time world champion who outweighs me easily by 40 or 50 pounds mm. who has no intention of like, you know, letting me out of here. Mm. It's <laughs> going to be a learning moment. And so I spent the rest of the match like trying my best to survive and bridging and doing every single mount escape that I'd ever thought of and none of them worked. So what did I learn from this match? I learned from this match is match was already over the second that he got to that over-under and I didn't stop him from requiring his grips. Mm. The skill level difference between me and Bernardo was big enough that it's over. I've made a fatal mistake. It's kind of like I am a amateur chess player at best. If I'm playing against Bobby Fischer, one of the famous chess legends, okay. and I let him take a pawn, or worse, in the case of what happened with Bernardo, I let him take a rook or something more valuable. The match is over. The advantage I have given to this person who's more skilled than me is too severe mm -hmm. for me with my inferior skills to overcome. 
It's just a matter of time. It, yeah, it's, <laughs> he's just going to grind through and it's over. However, and this is something that I, I learned when I was in Boston, is that all of these elite players, they don't ever give up free pumps. Mm. They will not. They'd rather, fine, the match, we can sit here and play patty cake for the first 30 seconds. I'm not going to start this match on your terms. And by me sitting on my butt and like not having a way to stop him from pouncing on me for like, I should have scrambled. I should have done something. I should have, I should never have let him make the first move. Mm. I know that he's better than me, right? No, uh, no crazy, arrogant version of my reality. Am I going to look at a five-time world champion and say, I got this? Yeah. Right? Not at this point in my life. Maybe, maybe if I train more, maybe if I've done more, maybe one day... Right, fingers crossed, I, I can catch up to the likes of someone like Bernard. I'm already 32. I'm going to be honest with myself. Probably not likely. But there's a, there's a chance, right? Chance. There's always a chance. Definitely that, a chance. There's a chance that there's a snowball here in Florida sometime soon, right? There's a chance. Mm-hmm. So, but right now I know there's a skill gap. So, how am I going to compensate for that skill gap? I'm going to compensate by only engaging on my terms. Because there are pieces of Jiu Jitsu that I've studied more than Bernardo, right? Stylistically, there are pieces of jiu-jitsu that I like better than him. Mm-hmm. There's, there's nobody, no matter how accomplished they are, that is better than everybody else at everything. Hicks and Gracie is the best jiu-jitsu practitioner of his generation and many people say ever, right? Hicks and Gracie is not better at jiu-jitsu than every other jiu-jitsu practitioner on earth at everything, right? That's Facts. just not true. There's some stuff, new stuff that he doesn't even do. Well, it's not even new stuff. It's just a matter of he's human. And we're that all too. human, right? That too. Got the human none, factor. None, none of us have the mental capacity to be better than a specialist in their area of specialization if we are generalists. Or if we're specialists somewhere else. It's why, if you ever saw the, uh, the John Danaher interview with Joe Rogan. Loved it. He was talking about the fact that at his school... There are a lot of submissions they just don't practice. Why? Because in their opinion, they're low percentage. So we're just not going to train that stuff. So if there's one of these submissions or positions that I dedicate years to being good at, and John Danaher, who, you know, obviously, very, very talented jiu-jitsu practitioner, Mm -hmm. many students, they say, no, I'm not going to practice that. If they put zero hours in, and I put a thousand hours in, I will be ostensibly better at that position than them. It'll be higher percentage for you. Yeah. Now, the question is, they analyzed the position and said, this is a, this is a low percentage. If they were correct, then the chances of me being able to put them there is still very low. Mm-hmm. But if I can get them to fall in my mousetrap, even if it's a low percentage mousetrap, I have a chance, right? So like, that's my whole thing is, and that piece of the game that I learned with Bernardo was the first second of the match. At the black belt level, every black belt's amazing at something. Mm-hmm. If they can put you into their game, you're in trouble. It's kind of too late. Yeah, so like Bernardo even showed me. He showed me like, like there's, he already knows how he's starting every match. He's got, he showed me three or four openings. He's like, sometimes I do this opening or this open. He... <laughs> It's just like chess. Yeah, right? yeah. He kind of figured ch- it chess out. Chess grandmasters do not freestyle their opening, right? Unless they have a very specific reason to do it. They have a laundry list of openings that they do. And jiu-jitsu is 
chess with our bodies, mm -hmm. you know? And so not planning for your opening is a weakness. Meanwhile, me being all flowy and fun and yay, I never planned for my openings. I always put myself in a position and then like based on what you do, I usually have a good response. Okay, so you're more like a, a new rapper to where they just go in the booth, put on the beat, and I flow. I wouldn't say I'm that way. It's I have my middle game plan. Okay. Like, because I have a lot of moves. So over the years, I've kind of approached jujitsu. I use a lot of analogies. So one of the ways that I approach jujitsu is kind of like stand-up comedy. Okay. It's like most like like one of my favorite stand-up comedies ever is George Carlin. George Carlin was famous for every year throwing out his act forgetting about it and then making an entirely new act from scratch. Mm -hmm. Something that I've tried to do in my jiu-jitsu career is not necessarily every year, but occasionally throwing away my jiu-jitsu. Not throwing it away, but putting it on the shelf for a little while and trying to do something entirely different. Okay, developing a new... Yeah, so like for example, when I was a blue belt, I was very much like, a, like um, I never really had a guard. My whole game was sprawl and dars and sit back up. But then I was embarrassed that you're doing jiu-jitsu and you, you can't even do it guard armbar like this is embarrassing you're blue jutsu and you can't guard armbar this is a shame <laughs> so then later on at like late blue early purple like let's play some guard let's play some closed guard and then I had a phase where it was all tornado guard and then I had a phase when I was doing a lot of mount armbars and like you go through phases where you fall in love with it and then I had a Kimura phase like you go through times where you like different moves and then you build a little system around those moves and my whole idea has always been as I build these new chapters of my game I kind of hem them together. Okay. So kind of weave my, the fabric. Yeah, I have my front head trap game, which leads to darts and cool stuff there. Well, when they slip out of that, oh, look, there's a leg flying there. I can enter into my leg lock game. Oh, look, they defend the leg. They turn their back. Well, let's start trying to attack their back and start playing my, my back attack. So, like, it's actually an informal version of what Dan was talking about, how he has his, his systems within systems. Mm. So, like, I've been doing that, just I never... I never wrote it down and codified it. Or and I also, I never necessarily chose the most efficient moves. Because for me, I also think Jiu-Jitsu is for fun. I would always use things that entertain me. Right? So, like, I have moves in my game that, like, I'll teach them to people. I'm like, this is not the most effective version of the sweep. There are better versions of the sweep. However, However. if you do this version, they fly across the room. It's a lot of fun to watch. <laughs> <laughs> you lose entire control of them. You get no points. But look at them fly. But look at them fly. <laughs> Yeah. And the funny thing is I was teaching that sweep that I'm talking about recently when I was in um uh, visiting a school in Milton Keynes. Um shout out to Southern Tribes Jiu Jitsu, like all of those guys out there. Where is Milton Keynes? Milton Keynes is about two hours, hour and a half north of London. Okay, so okay, so we're in uh you in the United Kingdom and all that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, Milton Keynes, England. And so um I taught them both versions of the sweep. I taught them the one, like, this is the one that wins tournaments. This is the effective one. Okay. This is the good one. Use this one. Please, don't be like me. And then I showed them the fun one. Everyone loves the fun one. Everyone loves the fun one. Everyone's doing the fun one. I was one. just going to say, like, which one do they I'm like? I'm like, guys, you're going to lose at tournaments. Don't do this. I lost at tournaments because of this, because it was too much fun. Yeah. And there's just something about sending someone flying across the room, man. It's, it's, it's intoxicating. Uh, it's fun. Great for the highlight reel. Yeah, exactly. And so, like, I... I realize that with my jiu-jitsu, jiu-jitsu doesn't have to always be so serious. And that actually dovetails really well into um, kind of another way, another thing that allowed me to travel the world so well. Because in the beginning, um, 
my girlfriend Lorna actually bought me the book, the BJJ Globetrotter. Okay. With a uh, Christian Gounder. Okay. And I have to honestly admit that I never read it because I'm a horrible person. Like, and I'm like, I love you. This is amazing. But I never read it. Nice. The cover is inspiring. It's a beautiful cover. <laughs> but, but what I did do is I went online, and I actually had it even before she bought me the book. But I went online and I joined BJJ Globetrotters. And I set up a little profile for myself. And okay. I said, come to Gainesville. Nobody came. Ah. <laughs> it's worth a try. No, it's, it's a small, tiny town. Like, mm. nobody came to Gainesville. And I just thought, like, if you're going to, it's far. Like, Gainesville Airport's expensive. Like, if you come to Florida, you're going to Orlando or Miami. Yeah. You know, maybe Jacksonville or Tampa. Gainesville's not even top five on places in North mm. Florida as far nah. as, like, big cities, right? So, I, I wasn't too disheartened, but... They have this cool thing on now if you join them on Facebook called Members of BGJ Globetrotters. Mm. And so it's a little group on Facebook that's incredibly active. And so what I did was I just posted um, before I left on the trip. I posted, hey, my name is Charles Harriet. I'm a black belt under Hinaldo Santos from Gaines of Florida. Throughout, you know, 2018, I want to travel the world in jiu-jitsu. Here are a few of the places that I thought about going. If you want me to come visit you, please respond to this post. And the response was resounding. Resounding? There was so many people. There was so many people from all over the world were like, yo, uh, I'm in Malaysia. Pick it up. Come on over. Yo, Hawaii. Yo, here. Yo, there. And I immediately could tell by not just who and how many people were responding, but how they were responding. Like, these are my people. Like, it was just this relaxing, like, come on down, dude. Like, yeah, we're all fam. Like, it was, it didn't matter what team you were on. There were people from Alliance, people from Gracie, who might, uh, people from all kinds of different teams, Carlson, Gracie, people. But I'm Carlson, Gracie, so obviously if you're yeah, Carlson, Gracie, yeah. you're going to, but people from Zenith, people from Zehariola, ZR from team. From everywhere. People from all teams, they didn't care because... It's jujitsu. It's love, man. And the cool thing about it is, it's in a way, it's a type of fraternity. Yeah. And and I mean, it technically is because it's an initiation system. Yeah. Where you come in and you technically yeah, initiate you up. The ranks. Yeah. So I mean, it is an initiation system, and it's a martial art. But I think the culture of BJJ as a martial art has a fraternal culture. Like if you put the call out, yeah. somebody will let you stay at their house, you and know. Obviously, right? It's not 100%. There are people, like I'm not trying to pretend jiu-jitsu is perfect, right? Obviously, there are people in jiu-jitsu that are very cultish and cliquish. There are people that are like, I'm sorry, bro, you're not on my team. Well, that's fine. But the vast majority of people, especially people, And those are the people you're not really trying to fuck with exactly. anyway. It's, it's like, you just, they're weeding that, themselves that's out. That's the whole thing, right? Like, that's what I love, right? So like, this is part of why I traveled the whole, not the whole earth, but I circumnavigated the whole globe. Never had one thing stolen from me. I never got into a fight with anyone. I really only had like one or two conversations that I could even call like confrontational or negative with strangers in all these places. But it's because I wasn't really traveling as a tourist. Everywhere that I went, I had a local who was showing me the spots and introduced me to their friends. And it's a very different experience. Because like, mm. like I told you before, I went on that small trip through Japan, Amsterdam, and um, in London. And in that situation, I was kind of a tourist. Mm. I was traveling and visiting people, but I was a tourist, right? Like, it wasn't the same. This situation, 
well, why are you here? Well, I'm here to do jujitsu. I'm not like, yeah, it'd be cool if I can see, see, this, some see stuff. this beautiful temple or see this mountain or see whatever, but like, I'm here to do jujitsu. Yeah, mission number one to do jujitsu. Yeah. And question, because, uh, and I, like I said, we're going to do a couple more of these to yeah. really dig deep into the journey. We're still in America right now. Yeah. But how, what were some of the places that you visited? Like, what All right, was. So, if you want to look at the, I can. I think I still the have itinerary. It. And I still have it memorized, which I remember because my girlfriend Lorna would always get on me about this because when people would ask me, where are you going next? I had memorized my plan and I would like rattle off this list and she'd like, it sounds like you're bragging. You sound like a douche. Like, don't do that. I'm like, what do you mean? I'm just like, well, it's like the ABC. Sometimes yeah. you can't find the next lady. You got to start yeah. at the beginning and, so, and work to it. And so like, I don't know if I have the entire thing perfectly, but we started in Gainesville, Florida. Gainesville, we went to San Jose. From San Jose, we went to San Francisco. From San Francisco, we went back to San Jose. We flew up to Portland, Oregon. From Portland, Oregon, we went back down to LA. I got to visit my boy uh, Diego there. That was awesome seeing him again. He's from Gaines as well. I okay. came up with him back when I was a striker. We used to um, uh, spar. We had these wars back here in in Gainesville, but no, too many stories. I can get the sidetrack. I can continue okay. on. From LA, went to Irvine for pans, back to LA. But then we realized, oh no. Because the way that I did this, I booked the cheapest flights I could find. Okay. And so they weren't always in the best order. And so when I booked these um, these flights, oh, I have a week. And I LA's kind of expensive. I don't want to spend a week in LA. And Brian Brown, who runs the Olympus Invitational and a lot of really cool tournaments here in Jacksonville, had this tournament that I was like salivating to go to, but I'm like, I'm already away. And I'm like, you know, we could go back to Florida and I could get to compete in this tournament. And Lorna wanted to come back home and kind of regroup before. And she had a salsa competition she wanted to go to in Chicago. Okay. So I'm like, we're gonna go back east. All right, it's decided we're going back east. Boom. We fly back to Florida and um, I get to go to the Olympus Invitational in Jacksonville. I got to the second round, ended up losing, but it was a great experience. That was still one of my favorite tournaments I've ever been to. Uh, shout out to Limits Invitational. They're doing their second one in a few weeks. It's a 32-man submission-only EBI rules tournament. Right nice. Now. That's getting popular. Yeah. It's it's so great, man. And like the quality of events that, that, uh, that Brian puts on is always really, really great. And so uh, I, I really, really like it. And I like that if you don't want to do points tournaments, you now have an outlet. And so between Brian and um, Josh LeDuc puts on the Sapatero series, which is also another mm. sub-only tournament. Um, I think the, the Leleo Code in Orlando also puts on. Oh, okay. Um, by Leo West puts on some sub-onlys as well. I think he also does point tournaments. But then there's the uh, there's a lot of little events like Fight to Win and that are, that are happening here in Florida and all over that uh, give you another opportunity if you don't want to do things the Yeah, other way. yeah. But from there, I went up to um, Chicago, and I visited um, some good friends there. And from Chicago, I, I got to see Lorna do her thing at her salsa okay, thing. Okay, with then, the salsa. And we separated. She went off to, to Colorado to see her friends, and I went up to Montana. Mm. And that was actually a really important uh, piece of the trip for me because my buddy Zane, so I had been training with him since I was a white belt. And he's one of those guys who just never got promoted for whatever reason. 
um, because he was just changing gyms, move on the move. But he's a killer. Since he's a blue belt, he's been tapping black belts out. Like he's a monster. Oh wow! You know, Zane, he's an absolute monster. And um, I was traveling, and I, I was like, wait a minute, I'm a black belt. I have authority. I can promote people. And so I brought a purple belt along and I promoted Zane purple belt. It was my first purple belt that I ever promoted. And I was like, this is awesome. Like, because he's clearly not blue belt. Anywhere he goes to blue, everyone's like, you sandbagging. I was just going to say, I didn't want to use the word, but I was but, like, it sounds like he's a, he has been put in a situation yeah. to unintentionally sandbag. Yeah, he wasn't trying to sandbag, but... Um, just it wasn't getting promoted. He, uh, he just, he wasn't able to. And so like, I was like, let's fix this, let's, you know... Let's make this right. And so mm -hmm. I learned to uh, Pro Bowl. I also had an amazing time. And that was actually the first Globetrotters gym that I got to train at under, uh, with in Missoula. Uh, Brad LaHuda is also okay. a BGA Globetrotter. And this actually would work out in my favor later on because like, I got to train at a Globetrotters gym, do a seminar at a Globetrotters gym, and for the very first time, like make my reputation, good, whether it be good or bad. And um, Brad was really awesome. He gave me a, maybe a little bed in the gym on the crash pad. And so mm -hmm. I slept on the crash pad of the gym and like, it's actually surprisingly comfortable. Mind you, this is winter right now. And so like my Florida, oh, I was struggling in Montana in the winter, but it wasn't, it was, so every morning in Montana, it was snow and then the snow would melt throughout the day. So it was so beautiful. Mm. If you could ever go to Montana, the whole state is just gorgeous. I got a rental car to drive from Missoula over to um, Bozeman, which was where Zane is and the other place that I was supposed to do seminar at okay. was. And um, it was, I stopped on the highway like half a dozen times. I just couldn't believe how, I could just pull off the side of the road and just stare. It was breathtaking. This, some of the most beautiful country in, in the world, man. Some of the most beautiful country that I've ever seen. It's absolutely stunning. Here we go. Here's some pictures. This is just on the side of the highway. Oh, wow. Just on the side of the highway. It's just Beautiful. the most amazing. It looks like pretty much the whole state is like Windows screensavers. Yeah. You know, those like, <laughs> yeah. Those like whimsical backdrops that Windows yeah. gives you. That's Montana, man. The landscape, beautiful landscapes. It's just. It's just stunning. Like you, you can't. That would have been a good. That's a good Windows background right there. Yeah, they're they're all that. It, it just makes you feel at peace, man. It's it's such mm. a great great country. After there, I so, so how did I end up in Bozeman? I wasn't supposed to end up in, in Montana. Okay. I literally, um, just was like I'm in Chicago. I got all I knew was that I have to get back to LA by the date that my flight leaves from LA. What can I do? I could just go to Colorado with my girl, that would be good, but I, like, I wanted to just do as many places as I can. And I wanted to see Zane. So I looked, I'm like, hey man, like the, the, the plane tickets went up quite a bit, like, can you book me a seminar or something so that when I'm out there I can teach and be able to afford to come? He talked to, to uh, his friend Brian at his mm -hmm. gym, and Brian contacted Brad, and next thing you know I have two seminar dates. And so now I'm teaching a seminar in Bozeman and one there. And so I'm like, well, this is going to cover my airfare. And so I booked oh, my yeah. airfare to go over there. And then I checked the flight to um, to get my airfare out to Cali. And I'm like, that's not bad. But then I looked and I'm like, wait a minute. I can fly into Colorado and see my girl in Colorado and train one more spot. Boom. And so like 
getting good at these little cheap flights has been like my lifesaver. So like I use skyscanner.com and I use last minute flights and occasionally I'll use a few other ones, but like those are my two like staples. Skyscanner. And um, last minute flights. Last minute flight, okay. And then if you're trying to get buses and trains, there's a, a thing called Wanderoo, which you can get cheap bus tickets and train tickets. Though in the the Eastern US, buses and trains aren't, aren't that great. Yeah. When you get out to the West Coast, their mass transit's actually pretty good. The train system in um, up the West Coast isn't bad. Isn't bad at all. But um, in the middle of nowhere, like Montana, you're not getting a bus or a train. You're, you need, need to get rid of yeah, yeah, you need to get a car. It's kind of open. But it worked out. And so in the end, um, the people in Montana, I love them and they love me. They're really friendly. I'm talking to them right now. I'm probably going to try and go back to Montana just because it was all love out there. I met such such great people. And like for whatever reason, I, a lot of Jiu-Jitsu guys are software developers too. So uh, one of the black belts I met out there, uh, Justin, he's also a software dev. Mm. We got to talking, you know, nerd stuff. Ah, and it was it was great to talk to him, and like I made a lot of a lot of friends out there, and they were all like, "Dude, you're here for too short. You need to go snowboarding." I'm like, "I can't." Like, yeah, jujitsu. Jiu I can't. I don't have time. So I'm like, "Okay, well, next time you come, you need to come snowboarding." So I'm trying to make that shift happen right now to actually go see them and go snowboarding. But like I said, I have these bad habits of sidetracking. So continuing yeah. off from Montana, I ended up going to Colorado for. 24 hours so like I've, I've started doing that and then from there I went to LA um, and then from there Lauren and I met up and we got on a plane to Hawaii so I want to point this out right now just to get the scope of like how cheap you can get a flight okay I got a one-way flight from Los Angeles to Big Island Hawaii Kona for $90 that's not bad at all $90. especially if you're already in California yep then I looked at the flights and I was like, my sister's in Hawaii, I got a free place to stay, so I can stay as long as I want, and well, until I piss her off, but I try my best to be a good brother, and okay. not make her too angry, because my sisters are, are awesome, but they're just way cleaner people than I am. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a big slob, and so like, I have learned on my journey through the prodding of my girlfriend and some of the situations that perhaps, as a grown man, I might need to be a little cleaner. Okay. About, yeah, you know. About where I put my things. Not even like dirty. It's not like like dirt and grime. It's more just like when I open my bag, it's like my bag's loaded. It's like spring loaded yeah. on those cans. And so like you got you got my bag and then you have shirts and underwear and it's all it's all in like a circle around my bag that looks like a mess, but for me, I know where everything is. Yeah. But I, I'm just, I realize now- To the untrained eye, it may look like a mess. This <laughs> might seem to be a mess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so, um, but it was amazing to hang out with her and her uh, her boyfriend, but Theo, you know your family, man. Like, you're, you're family. Like, your well, yeah. boyfriend. Like, Theo, her boyfriend's amazing. So she had to go to work. She got us a gig at the Four Seasons out there, and, um, in Kona, so actually what I did was I just looked at the cheapest flight I could find from any island in Hawaii going to Japan, and then figured that I could pedal jump from the islands in Hawaii across. And so I got a flight from Honolulu to Osaka, which is where okay. my buddies in Japan are. And um, turns out that flight was 120 bucks. 
So now I've gotten from California to Japan for less than 200 bucks. Nice. Now here's the crazy thing. I looked. If I would have flown the day after that same flight to Japan, $1,000. Holy shit. So you like, whoa. So you saved like 10 times the money on that ticket. If I would have flown the day before that same flight, $900. So it just you just caught it when it was just the seats were available. Yeah. And sometimes what people don't realize is when you have dedicated yourself to a task and you're like balls in, the universe is just going to line the things up. That's what I really liked about watching your whole journey. Um, and we're going to have to wrap in a little bit because I got to yeah. run some in. But that's what I liked about watching your whole journey because even when I study stuff, I like to, and here's a little bit of my philosophy, I feel like, you know, for those biblical people, it never stops. So like, Everybody has their own Bible. It's their life. So if you look back over it, you can read it and get these same universal lessons because, you know, we're, we're all getting the same lesson. So when watching you, it's just like I'm watching this person do this thing. And it's like, yep, you can just see the universe or however a person wants to see it coming in and filling in those well, gaps. It's a, lot of, it's a lot of little, um, just little moments. And like, I like to, I forgot who said it. So someone knows the quote, you can tell me, but it's that luck is when preparation meets opportunity. Mm -hmm. So like, I would never have got that $90 flight if I hadn't started looking. In my head, I was just like, I know I want to get to Japan somehow, and I know I want to get to Hawaii somehow. These are going to be my most expensive flights. I need to book this these flights as soon as possible as like my cornerstones, mm -hmm. and then I'll fill in the middle. And so that's kind of how I did it. I, I thought like this is going to be really. And so the other big one was when I knew getting to Asia was going to be expensive. I got to Asia, cool. Now within Asia, it's kind of cheap. And I knew getting from Asia to Europe was going to be expensive. So I booked that ticket, which ended up, I found out that Craig Jones was doing a footlock seminar in Thailand. Okay. And so I'm like, all right. Boom. I know I got to get to Thailand somehow, but I need to go to Europe. And so Thailand to Europe is going to be expensive flight. Let's do that early. Book that flight early. Boom, cornerstone there. So now I know how I'm getting to Europe. I know how I'm getting to Asia. So I know how I'm getting to the continent. What happens in the middle, well, I can fill the details in. But you got your skeleton. Yeah. And then you can just kind of fill in the meat and let the social media and let everything do its job. I mean, it's social media, but I think it's the social media was kind of like what allowed people that I love and people that love me to just know that this is going on. Because it ended up being some, some friends from like lifetimes ago. Like I ended up spending a week in Israel. Why? Because back when I was like 18, I used to teach karate still. And uh, Johnny Axelrod, my friend, used to be a student of my friend Alex and Boca. Remember I told you I had this thing where every month I'd go and visit my mom? Mm -hmm. Well, he was one of the people, students that were there, where I would teach jiu-jitsu, but I would also go and spar. And I helped teach him karate way back in the day and he remembered me he remembered that yo charles is good people he was a good karate instructor if he'd been doing jiu-jitsu for the past 12 years he's probably also a very good jiu-jitsu instructor mm -hmm. and he told his instructors who owned the gym and they trusted Boom. they trusted Boom. his opinion and they put me on 
And that's the magic. And that's the magic. Sometimes, you know, them cliches is true, like you reap what you sow, chickens come home to roost. But sometimes, if you're a good person, you're, you know, the chickens are, good chickens are coming home to roost, and what you're sowing is good grain because you sowed good seeds in the past with human beings. You're invested in people, and then you get that interest on the return 20, 20, 15 years later. But the funny thing is, it's just, I really do think that it's it's inertia and it's habit because my whole life, Mm, I like that word inertia too. Yeah, because once once you start going, like, it's, it doesn't sound fair, but it's the truth. You know that whole like, cause it's always said, right? The rich get richer, the poor get poor. Mm-hmm. It's said, but we say it like, oh, it's, it's so unfair, and it is unfair. But when you think of it differently, if you think about it like habit, right? In the case of of habit, if I start with making one good habit. I'm gonna start doing a little better. Mm-hmm. Now I got two good habits. I'm gonna get better a little faster. Three, four, five good habits. Faster, faster, faster. Mm-hmm. So it starts to snowball. So on the other end of things, if you start getting sad, you start getting depressed, you start talking down to yourself, I can't do it, I'm worthless, I'm a failure. Mm-hmm. Well, then you're gonna start getting worse. Yeah. And then when you get worse, you're gonna have new problems. And those new problems are gonna make you sad. Mm-hmm. And it's going to get worse. And you're going to snowball and things are going to get worse and worse and worse for you. And so the hard part is when you see yourself sliding to make sure that you get back and start doing these little good things. And so for me, the idea of not being kind to one of my students is so foreign. I've been teaching martial arts since I was 13. I got given the opportunity to be a student teacher when I was 13 teaching karate. And so I have a certain amount of professionalism that I've been holding myself to since I was a child. I was yeah. 13. Man, I, don't, I never really understand if a person can get mad in that situation because A, a person is paying you to do something. So you're like, you're offering a service. But I mean, but that could be my American way I of looking at life. how they get mad. And it's all about perspective. It's, I can easily see how they get mad. Here's how they get mad. I mean, if you're fucking off, that's one thing. But if you just like are a slow person. Even if someone's messing Because some people are slow. Like, it's all about I'm how slow. you take it. Even if someone's messing around, Here's what it is. I always took it this way. I'm going to make everything that goes wrong in this class my fault. Why? Because I've seen virtuoso teachers, I've seen beautiful teachers make a class full of misfits angels. Okay. Why? Because they're just that good. Okay. So you messing around, you causing trouble, you are not a problem, you are a challenge. And anybody can make the good kids do well on that test. Anybody can teach jujitsu to the ex-wrestler who's a perfect specimen. Yeah. But if you can teach martial arts, jujitsu, physics, whatever it is that you're teaching to the problem children, and they love you, and they're not problem children for you, well, that takes talent. That's a it's testament. Ki- it, it's kind of like, right, so if you're a wood carver, right, there's certain types of wood that are easier to carve. Carving something beautiful out of that is beautiful, mm-hmm. but not impressive. If you take like a piece of crap, low grade, whatever it is, or like a really hard to work with material, and you make something like, like granite, that, like granite, now that that's something different. So for me, I was always perspective. If my class went wrong, it's my fault. All right, that kid started screwing off. That kid started playing around. That kid started messing around. I must. My class must be boring. Because I'm teaching five-year-olds or eight-year-olds. I can't teach them the way I'm teaching the adults. They don't have the attention span. 
Mm-hmm. So I need to make sure that my class can hold your attention because if I can't hold your attention, I can't teach you. If I can't teach you, you can't get better. If you can't get better, I can't teach you what I really want to teach you, which is the cool stuff. But you need a foundation. And so that's always been my philosophy. If one person in the class doesn't get it, maybe they weren't paying attention. If the whole class doesn't get it, I have failed. Right? Because I've seen instructors do this. I've seen instructors insult their whole class. You all suck. What's wrong with you? This was easy for me. No, they don't suck. Whatever method it was that was taught to you and worked Mm -hmm. for you, it's just not how they learn. Yeah. And a lot of things, things can get lost in explanation because just because, because like you said, there's a, a large amount of very good black belts when it comes to rolling. Yeah. But that same person, that doesn't, they didn't give you a communication skills certificate when they gave you the black belt. You can roll, you roll with a mouth. The of black belt, because I don't know if this is true. I read, I read it online, so I don't know if I'm spreading like possible fake news, but, um. Hashtag. Um, exactly. But, um, originally the black belt was just for teaching. It had nothing to do with your skill. Hmm. Blue belt meant that you were skilled. White belt and blue belt. And the black belt was just for instruction. You could be the most murderous competitor ever, you're still a blue belt. Now, I hope this isn't wrong. I read this on, you know, we, we all, Jiu-Jitsu people, follow all these links, we click a link, and it's like, history of the Gracie promotion system. And, you know, <laughs> yeah. like, and um, but I, I could be wrong about that. But the for me, every belt beyond blue means something. For me, blue belt means that you can survive. You understand jiu-jitsu. If an untrained muscular person came through that door, you can do well. Right? Mm-hmm. That's the idea. For me, purple belt means anyone walks through that door. I can trust you to roll with them and not hurt them and not be hurt. If a 90-pound girl comes through that door, you should be able to submit her without injuring her. If a monster comes through that door, you should be able to submit him or at least not be injured by him. Mm-hmm. You're a purple belt. If you're 100 pounds, this guy's 200 pounds and you're a purple belt, I think you're probably going to submit him, but there's a chance that he's just so strong and that we only have five minutes in the role that you don't submit him. But you should not be injured by him. You should, yeah. be, you should know how to keep him safe. Should be at an advantage. Keep yourself safe. And you should now begin teaching. Brown belts, you should be able to convey a good amount of what you know to other people. Black belt, you should be able to teach a class. You should be able to run a school. You should be able to do all of these things. You don't have to open a school. I don't have a school. But to me, a black belt, you're now in like the uh, the researcher phase, right? Like you think of like bachelor's, master's, PhD, research. As a black belt, you're adding to jiu-jitsu. You should be, if you think about the base, you learn the base of all jiu-jitsu by blue belts. You learn Kimura, Americana, Armbar, Rear Naked Show, Triangle, Arm Triangle, etc. You learn those basic, and you learn all the basic positions, all that by blue belts. Well, what are you learning after that? You're learning people's PhD theses. That's how I see Combinations. it. Combinations. Right? You're learning Spider Guard. Spider Guard is not in basic Jiu-Jitsu, but what it is, it's some black belt's PhD thesis that is not part of Jiu-Jitsu. Worm Guard by Keenan, mm-hmm. right? Like, you're learning, this is a black belt's PhD thesis. This is a black belt saying, I'm adding to Jiu-Jitsu. Tenth Planet, the truck, all this stuff. This yeah. is this is people adding to the current knowledge of jujitsu. And for me, at black belt, it should be on just performance. You should be understanding and trying to add jujitsu while sharing that with others. Right. So, 
I always think as an instructor, how I convey my knowledge is that itself is a skill. And so I don't do anyone a favor, except maybe my ego, if my students are failing and I chastise them. I really do think every time that I teach something, because I practice teaching, I practice conveying knowledge in different ways. I have vo vo uh, vocal ways, physical ways by touching. I, I've drawn pictures sometimes, right? Like whatever it is that you need. If you need to hear, feel, or see, I, I want to hit you all, on all the three of those senses. Okay. Right? If I teach that to an entire room and they miss something, okay, I did say all the details, but apparently this one detail right here, step three, I didn't emphasize that enough. Everyone's messed up on step three. Call up, hey, guys, come back, come back, come back. All right, so I messed up. Being willing to say the words, I messed up. I'm wrong. I don't know. So important. It's key. I mean, we not, don't have all the answers. And then, not only in jujitsu, but in life. life. You know, it is a it is a great way to not you know put all the you know energy out there in the air. We're not deities. We're not gods. We're not perfect. We're not machines. And culturally, like that's my little like mini crusade that I'm on. Like, I want to lead by example. I want because there's a lot of people in life that don't know how to say the words I'm wrong. And so mm -hmm. I want to be that example and be like, I'm wrong. I don't know. Because for me, if you ask me a crazy question, I could BS it. I could be like, yeah, obviously the solution to this is that. Yes, 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 quite right. But it's BS. Yeah. And then what's going to happen? I just told you that. I'm hurting you. Because what are you going to do? You're going to go off to open mat. You're going to try that BS I taught you. You're going to crush. Mm. You're going to lose respect for me. Or maybe if you really like me, you're going to be like, oh, I guess I'm doing it wrong. And now you're down on you because I taught you some BS. Mm -hmm. And now you're in a pattern of believing things based on the person who said it first, but then the practicality of it working. Yeah. And there's a lot of people that are caught up into that. Oh, so-and-so showed me this move. So is this. Whereas in my thought process is either it works or it doesn't. I need to train harder at it if it's not working. But I can't base it off the validity of who said it because we got different bodies. It is all about this one key word. Why? If you don't know why your jiu-jitsu works, you will never be able to make your own jiu-jitsu. Or it doesn't work. Or it doesn't work, exactly. You need why. It's key, it's you need key. need why. Because if I just know how to make things work, then I am a robot. And I can be a very effective robot. But if I wanna grow on my own without my instructor, my master, my teacher, whoever it is, I need why. You need the why. Because a lot of my learning takes place as I go to seminars and I learn from other people is taking one of their moves, seeing their thought process. Okay, I see why he's doing that. And then extrapolating it into my own game. Mm. Right? I might not have the flexibility to play rubber guard, but I see why they're doing rubber guard. I see why they're doing that. And I can try and adjust that. I might not want to change my game and do this move over here, but I see the why. I'm like, oh, that concept for arm bars can work for knee bars. Oh, okay, that concept for arm triangles can work for my darts. It's all about seeing these connections. That only works with why. Only works with the why. That's key, but on that note. That's a great gonna, ending. That's a great ending. And like I said, we gotta get back in here and do even more, because we, we pretty much made it a little bit. Made we got a little more. Yeah. Made it to Hawaii. 
you know, and then we just got to keep pushing it. Yeah. Keep pushing it. Well, hey, thanks for coming in. I'm going to pause it and save it. Grateful I can lay these tracks expressing all my thoughts and dreams Pull a magic trick and turn this to reality On top is what I gotta be 20 plus years still going, can't give it up The world trying to bring it down, but I keep living up Counting all my blessings, trying not to ever stress So I keep verbal essence <laughs> It's like break up, roll, light up, toe Blow my problems in the smoke out the window And watch it all fade behind me while I'm on to the next On, on to the next to see what I get, cause I was never promised anything, I'll be happy to get anything, but never settle just for anything, I was destined for it anyway, so I sing, I got I take a token of this reality. Remember my brothers and sisters in the struggle who fell, became a casualty. Many abnormalities, breaking up and passing weed. Sometimes we gotta get high to see catastrophes of day to day, lifetime, meditate, write rhymes. Like they told me in church, let your light shine in the darkness. When we spark this, injecting love and compassion in the heartless. The purpose of the people with the passion to be equal. Gotta get it right the first time. No sequel, the prequel is what we living in right now. And if you think and tell lies, look how we live right now. Don't got no part to pissing, but I'm feeling good right now. And I put everything I love on my hood right now. Cause we kings and queens, not niggas and bitches. We bought love and respect, ain't bought cars and riches. Sing the song. I got I'm gonna be fine, I'm gonna be fine.